following message is presented by Erie Evangelical Free Church in Erie, Illinois. We are a church that exists for the good of our community and are proud to share the gospel of Jesus Christ as we seek to know him and make him known. Aaron does most of the, the cooking in our house, um, mostly because if I did the cooking, we would eat a lot of frozen pizza and deep fried food, and it would not be good for any of us. It would it would be good for me for a moment, but wouldn't be good for any of us. So Erin is, is a much better cook, and she makes much better food for our family. Um, so she does most of the cooking. But what that means is I, I try to do more of the cleanup after dinner, right? which means that I end up doing maybe my least favorite household chore in the world, dishes. I hate doing dishes, but I end up, I end up doing them more often than not. And, and we have a dishwasher but if, if you have a family, you have a dishwasher, you know throughout the day the dishwasher gets full. And so you can't actually put more dishes in the full dishwasher. So you end up having to wash them. And you have the big, you know, the big bowls, the big pans, whatever, that all need to be washed. And so I end up washing the dishes. And without fail, this is how it ends up for me. Do the dishes, last dish, wash it up, put it in the drying rack, and kind of rinse my hands off, wipe down the counter, go to turn around and walk out of the room, and there's one more dish that gets set on the counter. Somebody forgot to bring that one dish. So you kind of look at it for a second. Well, I've come this far. I might as well finish. So you grab that one last dish, and then I wash the dish, and I put it in the drying rack, and I rinse off my hands, and I wipe the counter again, and then I turn around and start walking out, and there's one more dish on the table. Somehow, none of us seem to see that one last dish. So now I got that, that question again, like, what am I going to do with this? Well, I've come this far. I might as well finish the job. So I grab the dish off the table, and I go, and I wash the dish, and I rinse it off, and I put it in the drying rack, and then I rinse my hands, and then I wipe the counter. And I turn around, and quick look before I do anything else. Look around the kitchen, right? Okay, no dishes, Good. I'm going to go out to the living room, and I go out to the living room, and there on the end table is one more of the kids' cups. <laughs> and you reach a point to where you look at it, and you're like, I don't even care if I finish the job now. That's going to sit until tomorrow. So I take it, I set it by the sink, and I'm like, that'll get washed tomorrow. There always comes that point to where it's just been too much. And, and it seems like without fail, I finish the dishes four to five times every night. See, many times... In our lives, there's a, that, that final push to get the job done. It's really difficult, isn't it? Whether it's your last year of school, right? some of our high school students, senioritis kicks in. Or maybe it's the, the final edits on a, a proposal for work or a paper you have to edit. Maybe it's the final miles of a road trip or the last hours of a fast or a diet. You've done so much work, and at that point, you're just ready to be done. But you know there's still a little more work left to do. And it can be at this very moment that the relentless nature of your opposition feels unbearable to you. Your body, your mind, your heart, they're all tired, and it makes you want to just give up when that final pushback comes. Do you know the feeling? Have you been there? See, the question before us, though, in those moments, 
is how do we persevere to the end? When we're so close, when we see the end in sight, when we're just ready to be done and that last push of opposition comes, how do we persevere to the end? Especially when that opposition feels overwhelming in the moment. In Nehemiah chapter six, we're gonna find three conflicts that Nehemiah faces as he closes in on finishing the work on the walls of Jerusalem. And in doing so, we're going to see three ways in which we can walk in God-honoring perseverance to continue to live out God's calling until the mission is done, until we've seen the work through. And first, we're going to see that if we are going to see the work through, that we persevere with confidence. We persevere with confidence. Nehemiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. It says, when Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and that no gap was left in it, though at that time I had not installed the doors in the city gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent me a message. Come, let's meet together in the villages of the Ono Valley. They were planning to harm me. So I sent messengers to them saying, I'm doing important work and cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it to go down to you? Four times they sent me the same proposal, and I gave them the same reply. Sanballat sent me the same message a fifth time by his aide, who had an open letter in his hand. And it was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem agrees, that you and the Jews plan to rebel. This is the reason you're building the wall. According to these reports, you are to become the king, and have even set up prophets in Jerusalem to proclaim on your behalf, There is a king in Judah. These rumors will be heard by the king. So come, let's confer together. Then I replied to him, there is nothing to these rumors you are spreading. You are inventing them in your own mind. For they were all trying to intimidate us, saying they will drop their hands from the work and it will never be finished. But now my God, strengthen my hands. We persevere with confidence. See, in this passage, Sam Ballot and his buddies are, are attempting to draw out Nehemiah and kill him. They've tried before. We've seen them try over and over and over to stop the work, to create division among the people of Israel. And now the work's almost done, and they say, listen, our only chance now is to kill Nehemiah. So they try to draw him out, but repeatedly, Nehemiah rejects their offer. Finally, a frustrated sand ballot sends in an open letter so that the people can actually read the letter. This is the, the significance here. Right, he could have sent a closed letter that only Nehemiah could see, but he sent an open one so that all the people of Israel could open it, could read it as it's being passed down, so that they could hear these inflammatory claims that Sanballat brings against Nehemiah. And he starts it off with some, some vague references. Right? It is reported this is the equivalent of, if you've ever had people come to you and go, you know, some people are saying, some people are saying this, which really means I'm saying this, but I don't really want to put myself in the middle of it, right? So I'm going to say some people are saying this. These vague references that have absolutely no backing to them whatsoever. Some people are saying this. And then he threatens the entire community. He says, he says and, and some people are saying this, that, that you're, you're trying to become king. You're trying to set yourself up. Right? What he's really telling the Israelites is that, listen, the king's going to hear this, and then your rebellion is going to be squashed. You're all dead meat. 
because Nehemiah is trying to set himself up as king, right? Trying to undercut Nehemiah here. And in doing so, he, he even questions Nehemiah's ambitions. We've seen over and over in this, what's Nehemiah really trying to do? Yeah, he's trying to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, but why? For God's glory, for the glory of the God he serves. But Sambalat goes, it's, this isn't about God's glory. This is about Nehemiah. You people, watch out. Nehemiah is using you. This guy, don't trust him. He's gonna get you killed. But Nehemiah sees through all of this and he gives this beautiful, simple response to Sambalat. And essentially what he says is, you're making this up, knock it off. (laughs) Everything you're saying, there's no truth to it. Just be quiet, go away, you lost. See, when you commit to living on mission for God's kingdom, the attacks that are gonna come at you will sometimes be attacks against your character. Sometimes be attacks against your character. This is what Sam Ballot does. Now that the, the work is almost done, they failed over and over and over again to stop the work. So he goes, I'm going to attack Nehemiah's character. And the same will be true for us. When we put ourselves to the work that God has called us to, understand that our character will be attacked. So how do we overcome that? How do we persevere in that? We do so by remaining confident in Jesus Christ. Remain confident in Jesus Christ. Nehemiah's confidence in who God has made him to be and in what God has called him to do remains strong. So he doesn't need to waste time defending himself against Sanballat. I I, I mean, put ourselves in Nehemiah's shoes. If Sanballat comes at that, comes like that at us, isn't our first instinct to stop and go, whoa, 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 let me tell you all the reasons why this isn't true. Let's walk through this. Let me, let me, I'm right. I'm really right. Like, let me convince you. Nehemiah doesn't do that. He goes, look, God has called me to this. I've been faithful to God's calling. You're making this up. Stop. He doesn't defend, he doesn't depend on his strength to defend himself. He simply stays confident in who God is and God's ability and God's God's defense of him. He knows that his motives, his character is pure. And those whose motives are pure, those whose motives are Christ-centered, have nothing to fear. Paul writes to Titus in Titus 1.15, he says, To the pure, all things are pure. He goes on to say, to the defiled, all things are defiled. He says, listen, if your heart is chasing after Jesus Christ with all that you have and all that you are, you don't have to worry about what others think about you. Knowing, knowing still that even if you pursue Christ with all that you have and all that you are, that others will talk about you. Again, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 14, it says, the person without the spirit does not receive what comes from God's spirit because it is foolishness to him. He is not able to understand it since it is evaluated spiritually. He says, if you're following Christ, if you're following the spirit, realize that the world will not understand you. Those who are not seeking Christ will not get what you're doing and they will oppose you and they may talk about you, 
But if you are pure in your motives, if you are pure in Christ, if you are seeking him above all else, you don't have to worry about what they're saying. Because the question is, the question is, where are you going? What are you doing? Where's your character anchored? And when we know that, then like Nehemiah, we don't have to be offended or angered when the world questions us. Because we know that we are in Christ and we know the peace that is found in him and only in him. And we can move confidently ahead. Listen, are we secure? Are we so secure in Jesus that we don't have to worry when others question our character? Or do we persevere with confidence? When our character is attacked, we can stand confidently and persevere in Christ. Second, we persevere in wisdom. We persevere with wisdom. Verses 10 through 14, Nehemiah goes on now after his, his interaction with Sambal, Tobiah, and Geshem. And it says, I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, son of Methetabel, who was restricted to his house. He said, let's meet at the house of God inside the temple. Let's shut the temple doors because they're coming to kill you. They're coming to kill you tonight. But I said, should a man like me run away? How can someone like me enter the temple and live? I will not go. I realized that God had not sent him because of the prophecy he spoke against me. Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. He was hired so that I would be intimidated, do as he suggested, sin, and get a bad reputation in order that they could discredit me. My God remember Tobiah and Sanballat for what they have done, and also the prophetess, Noadiah, and the other prophets who wanted to intimidate me. We persevere with wisdom. This whole thing centers on Shemaiah. And Shemaiah is only known here in Scripture. We don't know anything about Shemaiah. But he is visited by Nehemiah. Why is he visited by Nehemiah? We have no idea. No clue. But for some reason, Nehemiah goes to him, and, and Nehemiah gets this potentially damaging advice. Shemaiah says, listen, let's go to the temple. Let's hide out there because somebody's coming to kill you. You know Tobiah and Sambal, they're coming to kill you. Let's go in the temple and lock the doors. Why is this damaging advice. Doesn't this seem like good advice? Go to the temple, you're in trouble. I mean, isn't going to church a good thing to do when you're finding trouble? But we understand and when he says, let's go into the temple and lock the doors. He's saying, let's go where only the priests can go. Numbers chapter three, verse 10 says, um, God speaking to Moses says, you are to appoint Aaron and his sons to carry out their priestly responsibilities. But any unauthorized person who comes near the sanctuary is to be put to death. Basically saying, if you're not a priest, you can't go near the sanctuary. Nehemiah is not a priest. And to take it even further, 
Many, uh, many scholars believe that Nehemiah, because of his role in the Persian kingdom, because of the fact that he went before the queen and he spoke, that he is a eunuch. And as a eunuch, Leviticus 21 says, you can't go into the temple. So there are probably multiple reasons why for Nehemiah to go into the temple means he could be put to death. And so Nehemiah responds to Shemaiah and says, why would I run from the threats of man and into the wrath of God? Why would I be worried about these guys when doing this means God's going to kill me? Which one should I be more afraid of? See, Nehemiah is more concerned with God's holiness than he is his own life. Shemaiah didn't count on that. When you live, when you commit to living on mission for God's kingdom, the attacks that come at you will sometimes be attacks against your motives. Sometimes be attacks against your motives. Shemaiah goes, listen, you're going to do whatever you can to live. You're going to do whatever you got to do in order to, to survive. Nehemiah goes, nope. God's holiness is more important. I am, I am driven forward. I am compelled not by my success, but by the glory and the holiness of my God. When you live on mission, attacks will come against your motives. But in godly wisdom, we always find what is better than our desires. Right? I have no, I have no doubt that Nehemiah's thought in this was not, I don't care if I live or die, it doesn't matter to me. I would bet he wants to live. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you guess? He probably wants to live. He's not looking for a reason to die. The desire of his flesh is to live. But he says, that's not what's most important. He says, I've got something better than the desires of my flesh. I have the holiness of my God. In wisdom, we find what is better than the desires of our flesh. In Proverbs 16, verse 16, the writer says, Get wisdom, how much better it is than gold. And get understanding, it's preferable to silver. Wisdom, God's wisdom is better than gold. It's better than silver. It's better than anything you could want in this life. Now, if we're honest, we, we all know that it's easy to become blinded by the desires of our flesh. Amen? Anybody else? Is, is, is this one of those times where it's just me? It is really easy to be sidetracked by the things we want, by what we think is right, by the way we think things should be. To get wrapped up in ourselves. And when we do that, we miss God's direction for what is best because our motivation moves from God's glory to our desires. But wisdom, wisdom, God's wisdom leads us to something so much better than our desires. Well, great, but how do we get there, right? Isn't that the question that we always have? Wisdom's great, and I don't think any of us would go, I don't want any wisdom. I don't need that stuff. 
Now, we all want wisdom, but how do, we, how do we get there? How do we be people of godly wisdom? We could do 850 weeks on this and not cover everything probably, okay? So I'm not going to try to give you everything. But let me give you one giant help for you this week. And it's this. You want to grow in godly wisdom? Be quiet. You want to grow in godly wisdom? Be quiet. Don't fight with the world. Trust in God's sovereignty and his authority. Let his wisdom be your guide. We go back to Psalm 46, verse 10, which is many people's favorite verse in the Bible. It looks great on a coffee cup or on our home decor. It's a beautiful verse. Many of you know this by heart. Psalm 46, verse 10, first half says, Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. Now, here's the thing. My Bible translates this as um, stop fighting and know that I am God. If you go back to the Hebrew translation, the literal translation of that be still is go limp. Go limp and know that I am God. To go limp, to stop fighting, to be still, It's not a call for us to do nothing. It's a call for us to surrender ourselves fully and completely to the Lord and to his wisdom. If you've ever, um, if if you've ever had ever taken any like lifeguarding type classes or been around a pool where they do safety instructions, you know, if there's somebody who's drowning You see them out in the water and they're thrashing and flailing away trying to get back to shore and they can't do it. You know what the instruction is? You wait. You wait till they stop fighting. You wait until they surrender to the fact that they cannot save themselves and then you can help. God does the same thing with us. If we're fighting, saying, my wisdom's going to be enough. I can figure this out. I can get there on my own. God may very well let us try to get there on our own. And it won't be until we get to that point where we go, God, I can't. And he's like, yep. I could have told you that from the start. And then he picks us up and he carries us to safety. So that call to be still means, yes, you and I have work to do. We should spend time praying, studying his word, serving his people. But we still need to find that time to be quiet and listen to his voice and hear him tell us how we should do that. Surrender ourselves fully and completely to him. Some of you do this daily 
and you know how incredible this is. I've had about four different conversations in the last week and a half where we've talked about the value of this, of being quiet, where this has come up in conversations. And just that understanding of, man, I know how great this is, but sometimes I get caught up in life and trying to do other things and I just forget it. And then I start to feel that, that weight, that heaviness of the world pressing down on me. And then I, I step back and I say, no, 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 I need this time. And you see how incredible it is. If, if, if you don't have this as a part of your daily life, let me just encourage you today. Find time. Find a quiet time to sit and listen to God. Right? Maybe that's, maybe that's a time in the morning right when you get up. Maybe you can do that as you drive somewhere. I'm not good at doing that while I drive somewhere. But maybe you can. Maybe you need to do it in the middle of the day. Maybe there's a time where you can just kind of stop and, and listen. Maybe you're somebody who needs to do that after the kids go to bed and there's that moment of peace in your house. But whatever it is, find that time, find that moment where you can be quiet, be still, where you can stop trying to work everything out for yourself and just sit before the Lord and listen for his voice. Do we allow God's wisdom to define our motivation and move us forward in our call to action? Or are we trying to do that on our own? If we're going to persevere to the end, if we're going to fulfill that calling that God has for us, if we're going to stand strong in that mission, then we must do so with wisdom. So we persevere with confidence and wisdom. The third way we see our calling in Christ through to the end, even when we face opposition, is to remember that we persevere through faith. We persevere through faith. Verses 15 through 19, through the end of this chapter, says the wall was completed in 52 days on the 25th day of the month of Elul. When all our enemies heard this and all the surrounding nations were intimidated and lost their confidence, for they realized that this task had been accomplished by our God. During those days, the nobles of Judah sent letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him, since he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, son of Arah, the son of Jehohanan. He married the daughter of Meshullam, son of Berechiah. The nobles kept mentioning Tobiah's good deeds to me, and they reported my words to him, and Tobiah sent letters to intimidate me. So here we have the wall project finished in 52 days, seven and a half weeks to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And even though the work is finished, the opposition still is not done. The enemies of Nehemiah and the Israelites are still coming at them, even though the work they've tried to stop has now been finished. And Tobiah, if you remember, we talked about Tobiah in chapter two, and we said he's kind of a little rat of a person. If you study through the story, he's like a sniveling little rat who's always trying to be on the winning side. And this is what happens now. He's been in, with, with, <laughs> with Sanballat and Geshem. And he's like, yeah, yeah. And remember, he's the one who said, yeah. And if even a fox climbed up on that wall, it would fall over. Those Israelites can't do that. And now he sees that his side is lost. So he goes to Israel. He's like, hey, I'm kind of a good guy. I'm a friend of you guys. Here, talk to Nehemiah for me. Tell him what a good guy he is. Tell him, tell him what I'm doing. Tell him how I help you guys. Oh, man. 
Tobiah knows that his partnership with Tobiah and Geshem has failed. So he's trying to build a relationship now with, with Nehemiah and with the Jewish people. And some in Jerusalem thought, hey, maybe this could be a good thing. Maybe this could be advantageous for us, whether it's through economics or, or whatever the reasons may be, political. There's something happening. Like maybe this can work to our favor. But Nehemiah sees through Tobiah's motives and he refuses to be bullied into granting favor to this devious man. Nehemiah has no time for this because he remains pure in his faith. He remains pure in God's calling in his life to his surrender to God's sovereignty. See, when you commit to, to living on mission for God's kingdom, the attacks that come at you will sometimes be attacks against your allegiance. Attacks against your allegiance. Tobiah thought he could sway Nehemiah by saying, hey, this could be good for the people. Right? Maybe your allegiance is to the people of Israel. But Nehemiah's allegiance is to the Lord. It's very similar to what we, what we saw in Solomon's life. We talked about this a couple times when we studied through the book of Ecclesiastes. All right, remember what happened in Solomon's life? How did the, the wisest, most powerful king in human history fail and let his kingdom be pulled apart? What was the problem? We learn in 1 Kings 11, verse 4, it says, When Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away to follow other gods. He was not wholeheartedly devoted to the Lord his God as his father David had been. Solomon's problem was not a rejection of the Lord. He continued to worship God. His problem was that he lacked complete devotion. He split his allegiances. He said, yeah, God is good. God's important. That's great. But I also want to do this other stuff too. See, when you've been faithful and you see God doing things through your calling, through what he has, has brought you to do, what he has gifted you and equipped you to do, there will come a point where you will be tempted to relax and to begin to trust in yourself. Your allegiance will be questioned. Your allegiance will be tried. And this always leads to a downfall. It's why we all know so many stories of great leaders, great pastors, great ministries that have fallen and failed because they start out very faithful and God blesses them and God uses them and they see success. And then they begin to put their trust in their abilities and their processes and their ministry paradigms. And soon they fall apart because their allegiance has been split. They are not wholeheartedly devoted to the Lord. See, the only way you and I will remain strong to the end is to remain faithful, completely devoted to Jesus Christ. Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, and he says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith, and there is reserved for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not only me, but to all those who have loved his appearing. He says, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. How? By keeping the faith. Remaining whole 
wholeheartedly devoted to the Lord by not splitting his allegiances, not starting to think with all that he has done. And listen, Paul has done way more. He did way more in his life than you and I will ever hope to accomplish. But with all he has done, he says, no, no, no. It's about Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. He is my everything and my full allegiance is to him. To remain faithful in our allegiance requires a trust in who God is, in the calling that we receive through the Holy Spirit, in the strength provided by Jesus Christ, and a willing repentance for our sins, and a continual commitment to God's glory. It's a lot of work, but it is worth it. It is worth it. Never let yourself forget the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. May we never forget how our God created the heavens and the earth with nothing but a word from his mouth. May we never forget how grossly we fail him over and over and over again. May we never forget how often he has offered redemption to his people. May we never forget how he showed us exactly how we were to live if we were going to be perfect before him. May we never forget how we fail at that every single day. May we never forget how he refuses to leave us in our failure. May we never forget how he sent his one and only son to walk in this world, to suffer and bleed and die on a cross. May we never forget how he was laid in a tomb only to leave it empty three days later. May we never forget how he rose to the right hand of the Father. May we never forget that because of who he is and what he has done, we will not be judged by our failure, but we will be judged by the perfection of Jesus Christ, the one and only Savior in whom we put our complete and total faith. May we never forget the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we want to carry out the mission that God has given us, the work that he set before us, if we want to carry that out in faith, our job is to continually remember every single day, moment by moment, the beauty and the glory of the gospel. Because the moment we forget that is the moment we begin to rely on ourselves. The moment we trust in our wisdom, in our ability, in our knowledge, in who we are, in what we can do, in how much better we are than those people. And that's the moment we fail. If we grasp the gospel, why would we ever want to pledge our allegiance to anything else? You and I were created for a purpose. And that purpose wasn't to waddle our way through this life and try to get to heaven so we could finally relax. No, God has deep, meaningful, eternal work set before you and set before me. And he has created each one of us specifically for our task and for our calling. Know that you have been created for your task and your calling. Don't give up now. Don't throw in the towel when it gets difficult. Don't walk away because you realize that you're not qualified enough for what God has called you to. Instead, see God's calling through. He will give you all you need. Your job is to persevere. And if we press on in the mission before us, we, we will need to persevere. 
but we persevere in confidence in Christ as we remember the sovereignty of the one who calls us. We persevere in the wisdom of God as we remember the power and perfection of the one who has called us, and we persevere in faith in our Savior as we remember the love and the majesty of the one who has called us. Church family, may we dwell in the presence of our God and revel in his calling, his purpose, and his provision in our lives. Let us never lose the excitement that we have in his calling. And as we persevere, may our joy and hope and satisfaction in Jesus Christ be a light in the darkness of the world around us, that they may see the goodness of our God shining through our every deed, our every thought, and our every action. May we persevere in him. Let's pray together. Father God, you're so good. So kind, so gracious, so merciful, so incredible in every way we can recount and so many that we can't. And so we thank you and praise you that, that you have called us to your kingdom that you have called us your children, that you have called us into the mission and the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Father, we repent of the times where we have given up, where we've let the enemy's opposition turn us back instead of relying on you, trusting in you, walking in confidence of who you are, walking in your wisdom and walking by faith. So Lord, we pray now that you would give us one more chance. We know that as we come back to you, as we run to your arms, run into your presence, you stand ready and waiting. You stand ready to give us the strength and the vision that we need. You stand ready to take on our opposition, to defeat our enemy. Because you are faithful and your calling is good. Lord, may we trust you and stand confidently with you. Lord, we love you. And in your great and awesome name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you'd like more information about Erie Evangelical Free Church or our ministries, please visit www.erieefree.com or join us in person at 1409 16th Avenue, Erie, Illinois.